next in our series of podcasts on Norman England. In this particular one, we're going to be talking about village life and what it was like to be a peasant in Norman England. So let's kick off with the village. The heart of the village, the centre of the village, maybe not geographically, but certainly in every other way, is the church. This is a large stone-built building. And the reason it's stone is because sometimes it's used for storage, sometimes it's used for defence in certain cases if the village is under attack. So in extremis, it's a fortress. It's also the most permanent building. We'll talk later on in other episodes about the importance of religion in Norman England, but I think the symbol of that for you is the fact that the church is stone surrounded by all of these wattle and daub houses in the village. Around the village you would find the fields, and the fields are the absolute core of what the village is there to do. The vast majority of England is covered in forest in this period, and the little cleared areas where the villages are live or die by the quality of their produce, which comes out of the fields. The way the fields are used is what is called the open field system. It basically goes something like this. Of all of the land which can be used to grow crops around the village, around a third, somewhere from 25 to 35 percent of it, belongs to the Lord. That is his land. The crops which are grown on there are his. The rest of the land belongs to the villagers and is farmed by the villagers. The land itself, the fields themselves, are formed by a series of hedges. So the hedgerows form the outer edges of the field. Then within that, the field itself is divided into strips. Each strip separated from the next by a a small raised patch of earth, usually with grass on the top of it. So it looks almost like a cross-hatching that you would do in art. All of these little strips running in different ways. Each villager has a certain number of strips to work, and the produce that they grow from that strip is theirs. And the strips might be in different fields, so they might have to move around a lot during the course of the day. As we've already said, about a third of all of the strips belong to the Lord. Some of the fields will not have crops growing in them every year. You have to leave the field fallow for a couple of years to let it recover. So you grow wheat in it for a couple of years, uh, three, four, five years, and then you have to leave it fallow for two years to let the soil recover. Because if you just keep planting, eventually your crops will fail. So that's the basic geographical layout of the village. In the centre, you've got the church. Then you've got some of the peasant houses around the place, but around the outside, you have the fields and the fields are divided into strips and it is the strips that are worked please do understand the open field system because it's significantly different to how farming works these days and it also means that the countryside looks very different the fields do not look like the large open spaces that we see when we move around the countryside i said that the church had the houses of the villagers around it so it's probably worthwhile taking a bit of time to discuss what those look like Imagine a single building, probably slightly larger than a large shed you would find in a garden these days. It is single story, it has a thatched roof made of straw, and the walls are made out of wattle and daub. 
That is basically a wicker framework, uh, lattice, covered with mud and dung, which is then whitewashed over the outside or limed or something like that to give an extra uh, layering. And then the whole thing hardens in the sun. And it's actually relatively durable. It's surprisingly uh, strong, and it can stand up to quite a lot of punishment. It's not the most windproof of materials, and you occasionally will get bits of the daub flaking off and things like that. So the house itself is not what you would call well insulated. It's going to be quite chilly. Inside the house, there is a single room in which everybody lives. In the middle of it, there will be a fire pit, which provides both warmth and an area for cooking. Most of the cooking will be done over this single fire in a single pot. So you're generally talking about stews, you're talking about pottage, which we'll discuss later, you're talking about porridges, you're talking about things that we would today call a, a one-pot meal, which can be put on the fire and left there just to go. One of the other things you might find in these houses is an area put aside for the stock animals. If a peasant family is lucky enough to own an animal, like a sheep or a cow or a pig, it has to be brought indoors overnight to protect it from predators. And so there may be an area in the house where there is a bit of grass being left on the floor. Generally the floor of these houses is hard packed mud and dirt, but there would be this small area of grass left for the animals to graze on when they're brought in overnight. Sleeping is done on a simple pallet or a pile of straw on the ground, depending on how well off the family is. And everybody lives, as we've said, in this single room. There is no such thing as privacy. There is no such thing as personal space. Everybody sleeps together. Everybody sleeps in the same room as the animals. Now it's worth bearing in mind that being in the same room with the animals does have some health knock-on effects, especially for the weaker and more vulnerable members of the family. So I think, for example, the old people or very young children. Uh, the infant mortality rate is huge. You're very unlikely to reach the age of six. To an extent, in terms of population, that doesn't necessarily matter because, again, there's no birth control. So it's quite frequent for the woman of the family to be pregnant on a regular basis, and so a, a few children are going to survive to reach adulthood, or at least childhood. So that's the centre bit of the village where you've got the main villagers. And these villagers are what we would generally call serfs. Another word you might come across is villains. A serf is not a slave, but they are not free. A serf cannot be bought or sold, but they do come as part and parcel of the land. So when the Lord is granted this land under the feudal system, the people on the land come with it. And you cannot leave that land without the permission of your lord, unless you run away, which is a slightly different issue, which we'll cover later. So if you are a serf, you owe your lord service. You will have to work on his land, remember that third of the strips which belong to him. You will have to work on his land and grow his crops for him, and you will also have to pay rent on the land that is yours to farm and that rent will generally be in the form of some of the crops that you grow. So you grow some of your crops, which you give to the Lord as payment for him. If you live in the section of the village where the Lord lives, that's called the manor, 
And this is where you would find the manor house. This would be the house in which the Lord lives. The biggest difference here is that it's made out of stone. Again, this is a stone building. It's much more effectively insulated. It's warmer, it's more durable, it's better built. Very likely still have a thatched roof built around a wooden frame. Members of the village who live in the manor, this area in the village where the Lord lives, will generally be better off than the serfs that we've just been talking about. They would be freemen. That is, they are not serfs, they are not tied to the land. They might well be the more skilled people, like the miller, like the baker, like the blacksmith. There will also be some other people who live in the manor, people who hold positions of influence and power in the village, like the reeve or the bailiff. And these people perform specific services about the administration of the Lord's lands. Speaking of which, the Lord's lands in total, all of the villages that he controls in the local area, and all of this area is called the Demene. That's spelled D-E-M-E-N-S-E. The Demene. You can pick up the meaning of it because it gives us the same root word as domain. Yeah, it comes from the same place. So, the Demene is the whole area controlled by the Lord in which he has his reeves and his bailiffs to administer and deal with taxes and law and order and all the other bits and pieces. The other people you've got living there, well, obviously you've got the priest, and we'll talk more about the role of the village priest when we come on to religion. And obviously you have, as we said, the, the miller, the baker, and people like that. Don't make the mistake of thinking that if you are the miller or the baker, you're free and easy just because you're a freeman. For example, if you're the baker, you cannot bake bread in your own oven, you have to use the Lord's oven, and you have to pay for the privilege. Likewise, as the miller, you are forbidden from using a hand mill, you have to use the village mill, which again will belong to the Lord, and there will have to be a certain level of tax paid for the use of that. So, it's worth remembering that the Lord gets a share of everything that is produced in the village by the peasants, whether they're freemen or whether they're serfs. So that's the overall organization of the village. But what is it like to actually live there? What is it like to be a medieval peasant? Well, you would awake from about an hour or so before the sun rises. And as soon as the sun rises, you'd be out in the fields working. Before you went, you would have a hearty breakfast of pottage. Pottage is basically porridge. It's made out of oats, the same sort of stuff, with some bits of vegetable and meat thrown in there as well. Any leftovers you've got from the day before, really. It's not particularly appetising. It's not horrible. Um, I've eaten it. But it's not tasty. It's not very savoury. But it is filling. And, from a nutritional point of view, it gives you a lot of carbohydrates to burn off during the course of the morning. The other thing that you would drink with it is some beer, small beer. And small beer is a beer which is brewed with a very low alcoholic content. You're talking maybe 1-2% alcoholic content. The reason they drink ale or small beer is because the water is not safe to drink as a general rule of thumb. The local water source is generally not to be trusted. Beer, on the other hand, because of the fermentation process, the fact it's been boiled, will not get you sick. So everybody in the village will drink beer. Not enough to get them drunk. Don't imagine they're going around the place doing football chants and things like that. Everybody works in the village. 
Children are expected to work from the time they can stand and hold a tool. They'll be out in the fields, picking the stones out of the way of the ploughs, scaring off birds, holding the seed sacks, moving things left, right and centre, organising the tools. And you will work all day until night falls. So that is a, a constant rate of work throughout the day, working on your own crops, working on the Lord's land, maybe even working on the church land. The kind of work you do will depend largely on the time of year. As a medieval peasant, your life is controlled by the seasons. Your life changes during the course of the seasons. In the spring, you're sowing plowing, breaking the land up, getting the seeds in there, and protecting the saplings and making sure that they're not eaten by birds and other predators. In the summer, towards the late summer, you start harvesting the crops, also picking fruit and various other things that have grown throughout the year. Then, in the autumn, you plow it back over, ready for planting the next year. And then finally, in the winter, you're surviving. You're living off the stores that you managed to put in over the summer, the hardest time of year. The time of year when you are most likely to starve is late spring, because the winter supplies have gone. There is nothing left. Meat is very rare in the diet of a medieval peasant. Most of the meals you eat will be almost entirely vegetarian, because that's what you've got access to. It is a lucky family indeed that has their own animal, and you won't necessarily kill the animal until you can avoid it. After all, a chicken kept alive gives you eggs every day. Once it's dead and you've eaten it, it's gone. The best example I can give of how much use you can get from a single animal is the pig. I'm going to apologise about this bit. If we've got any vegetarians listening, you might want to skip the next minute or so. But if you've got a pig, the saying goes that you can use everything but the oink. You can render the hooves and the snout down for fat to make soap or candles to create tallow. Um, you can get ham from the legs, you've got bacon from the backs, you've got belly pork from the belly, the entrails, the kidneys can be used to make sausages, you use the intestines of the pig itself to make the casing for the sausages, the blood that you drain from the carcass can be used to make black pudding. Basically, every bit of that pig can be used to keep your family alive. And you, nothing, nothing will go to waste. And that's the same for every other animal, when its usefulness has reached an end. When the cow no longer gives milk, or when the sheep's too old for you to get decent wool off it, or if the chicken's not laying eggs anymore. So, the winter is a time for surviving, the spring is a time for preparing for the next year. And every day you are working. Every day, from sunrise to sunset. And then, at sunset, you would go home, and you would have your main meal, and everybody would settle down. Of course, the woman of the family doesn't get to settle down until after everybody's eaten their meal, and she's taken all the dishes away, cleaned them, what have you. I would, at this point, recommend, if anybody wants more of a sense of what, um, of what life was like, there is a book called... Uh, in the Year 1000 by Lacey and Danziger. You can pick it up from eBay for a couple of quid. It's well worth having a look at because it really gives you a sense of what life was like seasonally. It takes you through every month of the year and what a peasant would be doing. It really does fill in this little bit of the topic. It's a very easy to read book 
and it's good fun and it gives you lots of little details that just help bring it to life. So that's The Year 1000 by Lacey and Danziger. If you want more of a sense of the day-to-day rhythms and the month-to-month rhythms of this seasonal year. You don't work every day, I suppose it's worth saying at this point. You work six days a week. On the Sunday, it's a day of rest. On the morning, you go to the church services and then spend the afternoon um, with various entertainments, which will be relatively simple, maybe a wandering minstrel or a, a dancing bear or some badger baitings come to the village. But generally, you'll make your own entertainment, shin kicking, for example, or skittles or making your own music. You will also have holy days off, saints, feast days, uh, Christmas, the big days in the, in the calendar of the church. And of course, these holy days on which you don't work give us the word holiday, a day when you don't work or don't go to school. But on the days when you are working, everybody has to do some work for the Lord in the course of it. As we've already said, the serf has to work the Lord's lands. Even a freeman is required to do some work for the Lord and has to provide some taxes. The other thing you have to do is to provide tax for the church. And that will be a tenth of everything you produce. And that's known as a tithe. Now we'll pick up on that in a later episode when we talk about what the tithes that are being collected from everybody in the country give the church in terms of economic power and political power. But for now, just remember these key things about village life. Remember the geographical organization of the village, the open fields, the manor, the church, the villagers, the serfs, and the freemen. Remember that the main focus of the peasants' lives is around the seasons, that seasonal year that rhythm of the changing year controlling the type of work that they are doing for the rest of the year. If you remember that, you won't find anything in the exam that's particularly difficult about this. One thing that is worth just considering, and we will pick up on this in another episode just down the line, is how much of an impact does the Norman invasion have on the life of these people? Let's say we've got little Edric, who is born in a village in 1060. He's six years old at the time of the Norman invasion. A new lord takes over sometime in 1068, 1069. Maybe there's a rebellion nearby, but by 1070, by the time he's an adult, fully grown, the Normans are firmly in control. And my question to you is this. Would he notice the difference from when he was a child to when he's an adult? How different is his life? The seasons are still the same. The work is still the same. The church is still the same. So how much has actually changed for him? Have a little think about that so that you can play along when we come to the How Much Did Life Change Under the Normans episode in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you very much for listening, and good luck in your exams.